So the book of Lamentations is an incredibly emotional book of the Bible. The series has a lot of emotion and a lot of feeling in it. So uh, you need to know that some people in my family call me an emotional robot, which might make you wonder why I'm teaching in this series. <laughs> but uh, it's true. I don't cry very often, and when I do, it kind of freaks people out. I tend to keep my feelings on lockdown. So you might wonder why I'm telling you that. It's because probably there are a few of you in the room who feel the same way. And I just invite you to be a co-learner with me this morning as we explore these ancient Hebrew poems. And we learn, um, we learn what it means to lament. So when I started reading the book of Lamentations, it did feel a little bit like a foreign language to me. But as I studied and as I spent time and as I thought about my life, I really do begin, I'm beginning to understand the power of lament, not just for individuals, but for entire communities, entire nations. Lament can change us in ways that will please God. So to start out this morning, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your life. Take a sip of coffee if you need to. Maybe take a deep breath. I know for some of you this morning, real life is painful. But I really think we need to think about our life, about what's going inside us, going on inside us, what's going on around us, all the parts of our life, our relationships, our health, the thoughts inside our head. And with your life in mind, I issue this challenge. We need to learn how to respond to our real life. Real life response to whatever it is that's going on inside and around us. What would happen if we learned to trust that we could just respond to our life? The real things happening. One of the reasons I think the book of Lamentations even made it into the Bible is because God wants us to learn how to do this. He wants us to respond to our real life, our real life experiences, especially the ones that are wrapped up in pain, grief, and loss. And responding to pain, grief, and loss is what lament actually is. So we're all trying to use the same definition because we just don't hear the word lament very often in our world. And if, and if you're me and you hear the word lament, you're probably like, oh boy, here comes some drama. Right? So we need to have a little better understanding of what lament actually is. So this is what we're using as a definition. Lament is a process. It's a process that brings pain, grief, and loss into God's presence. But not just as an exercise. Something happens when we bring our pain, grief, and loss before God, uh, we're able to thrive more fully. We're able to experience abundant life, and that's what Jesus promised his followers, abundant life also in the presence of pain, grief, and loss. So what happens when we do this process? What happens when we learn to lament, when we learn to respond to our real life? I'm just going to look at three things this morning that I think lament does in our lives. And the first one is really important. Lament breaks down denial. So lament breaks down denial and then it creates space. It creates space in our life, in our communities, in our nation 
space for people to acknowledge pain, grief, and loss. So it's important to know that denial ain't just a river in Egypt. All right, you're listening. I wonder if like the, what this poet was the first one to do that joke. He was like, lament just, uh, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Probably not. But uh, denial is huge. I think many of us are just in denial a good chunk of the time. And especially in denial when it comes to lament. Our response, remember, to pain, grief, and loss. I don't think many of us are, have ever learned how to lament. We are a culture of emotional robots. And I actually think we're kind of proud of it. I am sometimes. We know how to keep a stiff upper lip, especially if you grew up in, the, in the, like the Midwest. You know how to keep a stiff upper lip. You know how to have a strong spine. You know, uh, like if you fall down or you're skinning your knee, what are you going to hear? Get back up. Rub some dirt on it. Get back in the ball game. So many ways that we live in denial. We could talk about this the whole morning. I just want to paint you a little bit of a picture. So I have a really good friend. She lives right next door to me. And uh, we've been in the same life group at Orchard Hill for 20 years. About three years ago, her dad passed away. So I made some soup as an excuse to go over to her house and give her a hug. And she apologized three times for crying in the 15 minutes that I was there. She apologized for her lament her appropriate, honest response to her dad's death. Why? Why would she apologize to me for crying when her dad died? And I think it's because her brain was telling her that she shouldn't feel so sad about her dad's death because he was an old man and he lived a good life. But what her heart was telling her is that she lost her dad what her real life felt like was a broken heart. And I wonder if you recognize yourself at all in that story. Could you imagine yourself apologizing for some of your emotions? I know that that I recognize myself. We are so much more comfortable thinking our way through our lives than feeling our way through our lives, especially when our hearts are broken feels like you have more control when you're thinking. We live in denial about our honest responses to our real-life experiences. So why is denial a problem? If denial is a strategy and it gets you through hard times, what's wrong with a little bit of denial? The truth is that denial over time that pushed down, pushed aside pain, grief, and loss. Dave, Dave kind of pictures it as a, a beach ball held under the water. What happens to that beach ball eventually? It gets pushed out sideways. When we are in denial for long enough, it always comes out sideways, and it can look a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, it can come out sideways when we isolate ourselves from our family, our friends, from God. It comes out sideways when we, instead of responding to the pain, grief, and loss, we buy something, watch something, smoke something. My personal favorite is to wrestle all that feeling into a little ball and turn it into like hard work or determination or achievement or my personal favorite, like a little bit of anger. Instead of, whenever we have denial long enough, it's going to come out sideways. So 
My first big denial of the emotional impact of my real life was when I got pregnant in high school, my senior year. The overwhelming emotions for me were shame and guilt. And it was for a lot of reasons. But what it kind of boiled down to was uh, being an unwed teenage mom in the 1980s was a really bad thing for your baby. And I felt so much shame and guilt that life was going to be so unfair to this baby before he was even born. So I just didn't let myself feel. I decided I was going to be the best unwed teenage mom the world had ever seen. I was going to do everything in my power to make sure this baby got everything that he needed and deserved. And it didn't matter how I felt about anything. And you know the crazy part? Everyone was super impressed with me because I took great care of Nick. I worked a job. I um, got him to doctor appointments and therapy appointments. I uh, pursued my criminology degree at UNI. I was a rock star teenage mom. And the truth is, for a lot of us, denial, it feels like strength. It feels good. What no one knew was that every night, the year that Nick turned two, I uh, read him a story, I sang him a song, I put him to bed, and I walked across the hall to my neighbor's apartment, and I smoked pot with him. Did I say I was a criminology major? (laughs) Denial only works so long before it comes out sideways. It's just true. How does your unexpressed pain, grief, and loss come out sideways? What does it look like? For you, what does your denial look like? And what we have to understand is that denial doesn't impress God. He wants our real life. He wants our real heart, our real thoughts, our real fears, our real feelings. He wants our lament. He wants to help us respond to our life no matter what kind of pain, grief, and loss is wrapped up in it. So that's the first big thing that lament does. It breaks down denial. It creates some space for us to be honest about our real life. The second thing lament does is it makes us human. Lamenting directly to God is one of the things that makes us human beings. So if you read these five ancient poems, they are graphic descriptions of the violent destruction of Jerusalem. It is as bad as it can get. Israel has lost everything, their homes, their family, their children, their culture, their faith. I don't think we can understand the amount of devastation. So the uh, one way I think we could imagine it is if we imagined a month-long F5 tornado tearing through your town for, for a month. But it is, that isn't bad enough. When the TV crews arrive to report the devastation, the TV crews and the reporters blame the residents of your town for the destruction. And then they call uh, the residents a few derogatory names on top of it. That's the tone of this poem. Until Israel finally speaks 
uh, finds its voice. So these are poems, and we ha- it's kind of you can miss this, but I want to show you in Lamentations 1:9. We uh, up to this point, we're just getting this detached, cold reporting of the destruction, and then Israel says this: "Look, Lord." On my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. And then to the people passing by, in Lamentations 1.12, Is it nothing to you? All you who pass by, look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? From on high he sent fire. He sent it down into my bones. He spread a net for my feet and he turned me back. He made me desolate, faint all the day long. When we read the response to the pain, grief, and loss these people were experiencing, there's no room for denial here. There's no like attempt to make it holy or religious or like reasonable or controlled. Do you believe that God welcomes this kind of response to life? Is that a part of your picture of who God is? God has sent fire, sent it down into my bones. That's lament. And that's kind of scary to think about talking to God that way. That's hard. Denial is a lot easier. I'm really good at denial. Usually denial sounds like this in my life. Okay. All right, this is, this is hard and this is bad. But you know what? Other people have done this. Other people that aren't as smart as me have done this. I can totally do this. We can do this. We can figure this out. We are going to figure this out. That's what it sounds like to me. But I also get overwhelmed. And uh, real life just starts to feel like it's too much. And I want to curl up into a little mush ball and kind of disintegrate a little bit. But I'm afraid to do that. Because I'm afraid I won't be able to stand back up. When do you feel like that? What's going on in your life or in your heart or in your mind when you just want to lay down and be a mush ball for a while? I know that happens for you sometimes too. So for me, I have found a place to lament. It's the bottom step of my basement stairs. It's been the same place every house I've ever lived in. I don't know if there's like some figurative, uh, you know, imagery of being very low in the house. But I go to the bottom step and it's where I, I just let it all go. You know that ugly cry? You don't want anybody to see? I let everything out. It's the place where I just plead with God. And for me, it sounds like this. God, I need you to be real. I can't do this. I cannot do this. I need you to be who you say you are. You have to be real, God. I'm so scared and overwhelmed. I don't know what to do next. I cannot do this without you. You need to be who you say you are. And then I just do that on a loop over and over again. And when I stand back up from that bottom step, I feel stronger but nothing has changed in my life. But I feel less alone. I also feel tired, and my eyes are red, and my nose is just like running, and I desperately need a nap because lament is hard. 
And it costs energy and time and vulnerability. But when we lament, we are less like robots. We are more human. It's what it means to be a human being. So do you have a bottom step? Do you have a place to lament? For you, it might be a person. Or it might be writing. It might be your journal. For you, it might be part of the reason why you hunt or fish or hike or find a reason to get out in nature, out into the woods, so you can just let it go. You can cry. You can rage. You can lament. You need to find this place in the world. It's what it means to be human. Lamenting directly to God is part of what makes us human beings. We need to learn how to respond to our real lives. The third thing lament does, we talked about lament breaks down denial. It makes space for us to acknowledge pain, grief, and loss. Lament, lamenting directly to God makes us human. And lament gives other people the chance to hear and to have compassion. When Israel laments in response to that kind of F5 tornado that hit their community, they not only became human beings, but the, the narrator, the poet wrote this in a way that there was a narrator who starts out as this distant, cold reporter blaming and shaming for what is going on. Well, something switches. There's like this epic shift in the narrator when he hears Israel, listen to what the narrator says in Lamentations 2.13. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughters of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? What a shift. Compassion. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? The narrator is saying to lamenting Israel, I do hear you. I have seen I've seen what has happened to you. If I could bring you some comfort, I would. What would these words of compassion have felt like to this community, to people who had lost everything, their world just tanked, and on top of it they had this crippling guilt and shame for what had happened? These people's babies had died of thirst with their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. How desperate for compassion. How desperate are people in our world today for just a little bit of compassion without the blame and the shame heaped on top. And the truth is that most of us in this room have never experienced even close to suffering like this, like the people represented in this poem. For some reason, I was born into a family that has always loved and helped me. My experience in this country has always been comfort and safety. But there are so many people around us in our communities and in this world who do not experience life like this. What would a little compassion mean to them? And the beautiful thing is these ancient poems that are so foreign to us, they speak to all of us. They have something to say to all of us. That's what I love about the Bible. Remember how determined I was to be the best unwed teenage mom the world had ever seen? 
despite all my efforts to have a healthy baby. When Nick was born, he was very sick, and he couldn't breathe on his own. Uh, he needed help keeping his temperature up. He, he just lied. He just would lay on the bed, and I remember the doctor picking his arm up, and it just dropped limp to the bed. He had to be transferred to Iowa City shortly after he was born, and I couldn't go with him. And I kept it together all day in the hospital. But when I was finally alone at night, I was 18 years old, uh, without my baby, no idea how he was doing, I began to cry. And after a C-section, crying really hurts. (laughs) And my roommate, that was back when you shared a room, even after you had a baby? Like, come on, what's that about? But... I hit the roommate jackpot. My roommate heard me crying. And she got she just had a baby that day. She got up out of her bed and she came and she sat in a rocking chair beside my bed and she held my hand for what felt like hours. It felt like I was holding the hand of Jesus. She heard my lament and she was compassionate towards me. You know, you think about it, if I had held in my pain, if I had tried to like gut it out, tough it out, have strength, I would have missed out on compassion. And to be honest with you, I don't think I even knew I needed compassion at that point, but I did. So today, Nick is a 30-year-old man who lives with Prader-Willi syndrome. It's a tough syndrome. It has a lot of things that make life really hard. But he loves his life, and I am so proud to be his mom. It's hard to watch him navigate a world not designed for the intellectually disabled. It's hard to know how to lament when I watch him struggle. But I am so thankful for the compassionate people who've popped up along the way, starting with this woman who sat by my bedside the day he was born. You know, she could have been really irritated that she got stuck in a room with an unwed teenage mom. She could have judged me. She could have thought, well, I wonder what she did to have a sick baby. I don't think that ever crossed her mind. I think she just got up and offered me compassion. And it was a huge gift. So do you need a compassionate listener? What groups of people or communities around us need a compassionate listener? Someone who's just willing to offer a little bit of comfort instead of shame or guilt. The beautiful thing is lament makes us human and it allows other people the chance to be compassionate listeners and that makes them more human too. This beautiful thing. Okay, this is a little bit of a sharp corner. But it's a really important one. I want to talk about name-calling for a little bit. The book of Lamentations, these poems, are filled with blame for suffering as well as shame-filled name-calling. At one point, Israel is even called a filthy skirt. It's in chapter 1. A filthy skirt. It's like being called a whore. Can you imagine? Your whole world tanks. Everything's gone, and you get blamed and called names. 
It sounds familiar, doesn't it, in our world? Have you ever experienced name-calling? Maybe even name-calling in the church? Has anyone ever made you feel like you deserve the suffering or the pain that you're going through? Made your pain worse by adding a little name-calling to the mix? I know that some of you have experienced this. Or the people in your life who you love have experienced it. And I have too. It was a really long time ago. And it may have hurt my mom, maybe a little bit more than it hurt me, but I wasn't invited to my church's senior class breakfast when I was a senior in high school. Unwed teenage mom. But this really amazing thing happened. Almost simultaneously to being rejected by my own church, I had this completely different experience. So it's my senior year, spring of 1988. Uh, Dave Bartlett called me and he said this. He said, you don't know me. (laughs) That's a start for a phone call. You don't know me, but I know some of your friends. And they told me that you love Jesus and that you're an unwed teenage mom. And I would like the kids in my breakfast club to meet you and hear your story. So breakfast club was a group of kids that met one week in the morning before school, had breakfast and shared, uh, just talked about faith. Dave said, I would like you to come and share a little bit of your story. Dave had a new name for me. For me, it was one who loves Jesus. And that changed everything for me. Israel, in their lament, got a new name too. It's kind of hidden in the story. No more filthy skirt. They're called beloved daughter. We see it in Lamentations 2.13. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I might comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? In both cases... The new name says that all that pain and responsibility you feel, it doesn't define you. That failure that is so public and deep, affecting everything and everyone you care about, it's not the end of your story. This fear you you have about your future, you don't have to face it alone. That's what a new name can do for a person. God wants us to learn how to respond to our real life experiences. He wants us to lament. He wants our lament. Because when we lament, it breaks down the things that get in the way. It uncovers things. It makes room for God's love. We make room when we lament for God's people to reach out in love. Who can heal you? Lament makes room for God's healing love. So we're closing each of these services. We're we're wrapping this series up in these powerful verses found in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. And listen to these words. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So we finish with this hope-filled whisper of a Savior spoken over the devastated people of Israel. So full of hope then and so full of hope today. Do you see the word new? This is why I am a follower of Jesus. Because the larger truth is this, that God in Jesus 
makes all things new. He brings healing and hope out of our pain, grief, and loss. It's what we're going to celebrate for Easter. Invite some people to come and hear the celebration. Jesus takes unwed teenage moms who can't feel their feelings very well, and he calls them beloved, beloved children. And out of his great love and creativity, like he brings one to teach at Orchard Hill Church. The old name Filthy Skirt is a hard name to shake. I held on to that name for 30 years. Longer than even I knew. Is it time for a new name for you? Beloved child, forgiven, set free. Do you have the courage to let Jesus take all of you, your real life, all of your story, what really goes on in your head and what really goes on in your heart and make something new? What if lament is the best place to start? And I'm becoming more and more convinced that it is. So will you pray with me and then we're going to continue to sing together. God, you are not afraid of the world that we live in. But you also require some things of us. You require compassion, just like the compassion that kept Jesus on the cross. Would you help us start in our own life? Would you help us to have courage to respond to the things that are really hard and scary and we can't explain? Would you help us to build some trust that you are bigger than we can imagine? that your power reaches farther and in more ways than we ever can understand. Thank you so much that we are not alone. God, we just plead with you that you are truly who you say you are, that you truly are who we sing about and who we, uh, who we just desire more than anything in the world, that you are a savior that you are a forgiver, that you are a healer, that you are not small and confined to a small group of people, but that your love is what can transform the world. We thank you for your personal care for us. That somehow, because of you, something about you that we don't understand, that you know us completely, that you can guide us, that you can heal us, that you can give us courage and power to live in this world in a way that reflects you better and better every day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the modeling that we're able to see in Jesus through his life, his death, and his resurrection. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.